turn your copy of God's Word this morning to the 16th chapter of Romans. We bring our study of the book of Romans to a close today. As we look at Paul's final three verses, the doxology, the end of his letter to the church in Rome. Now, I'll never forget going to a, a camp. I was a college intern. I, I believe it was after my freshman year of college, if I'm not mistaken. And it was a youth camp. I was helping serve as volunteer. And throughout the, throughout the week, each afternoon, the, the camp brought in a different, a different individual that was just, I guess, kind of supposed to wow us and impress us. So um, the first day was Lee Haney. I don't know if any of you remember Lee Haney, but he got up and shared his testimony and then took his shirt off and flexed, and everybody went, oh, you know, the guy was just nothing but muscle. This guy was pretty remarkable, pretty interesting, never forget that. The next day um, was a stuntman who got up on stage and set himself on fire. I don't know that I was amazed as much as I was thinking, this guy has a problem, um, but he did it. And then the next day, this same guy had gone and, and rented a... A car that he did all kinds of stunt maneuvers in. Uh, so I've learned from that that anytime you rent a car or if you purchase a car that used to be in rental, there's no telling what has happened to that car. Uh, he then proceeded to crash a car over a ramp he built that afternoon uh, that he had bought that afternoon for a couple hundred dollars. Pretty neat. The last day of that camp, though, is the day I will never forget. All of these spectacular feats and things that they had done throughout the week. And we're sitting there gathered in the auditorium and this little girl walks up on stage. I don't remember how old she was. I just remember she was probably this tall. She was tiny. And she walked up and all shy and quiet. And they introduced us and said, this is so-and-so. They said her name and said, she's going to sing a song for you. And she walked up to the microphone and friends... She sang, and as a college student, by the end of the song, I sat there with tears in my eyes. And high school and middle school kids around the auditorium, you could have heard a pin drop as this little girl sang. And when she hit the last note and put the mic back, the entire room stood up in a rousing standing ovation of this little girl. There was nothing left to do. There was nothing to say. There was no explanation needed. All that was left to do was to clap and give ovation and applause to this little girl who just sang her lungs out with a gift from the Lord. When we come to Romans 16, 25 to 27, we're kind of in a similar situation. All that Paul has talked about, all he has written of, all that he has made appeal to and exhorted the believers in Rome to, all he has been inspired of God to write. And he comes to the final portion, these final three verses, and there is really nothing much else to say outside of God be praised. We give all glory and praise to God Almighty. And that's what he does. Let's read his final three verses today in the book of Romans. Verse 25 of chapter 16 says this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, 
according to the revelation of the mystery that has kept that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This word from from Paul is a declaration. It's a declaration of the strength of God, the salvation of God, the mission of God, the glory of God. And we're going to look at each one of those four things. The first thing we look at is the God who is able, the strength of God, the God who is able here in verse 25. And I want you to notice, God, Paul does not give us an, an exhortation or a command to be strong. He does not get to the end of Romans and say, now you need to be strong. You need to stand strong. You need to stand firm. No, he says, now to him who is able to strengthen you. He doesn't appeal to you to be strong. He doesn't appeal to me to be strong. Instead, he is making a declaration of the God who is strong, the God who is able, the one who is able to strengthen you. That's what we want to think about is is the fact that he says the one who is able. We find that all throughout Scripture, that God is described as the God who is able. That's the great declaration that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, right? I don't know if, if God's going to deliver us, but we know he is certainly able to, and so we will not bow down to your image. In Hebrews 7.25, we read that he is the God who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him. In 2 Timothy 1.12, it says that he is the God who is able to guard the salvation that has been entrusted to you and I. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, he is the God who is able to make all grace abound to you. In Hebrews 2.18, he is the God who is able to help those who are tempted because he suffered and he was tempted, yet he was without sin. In Jude 24, we read that he is the God who is able to keep you from stumbling. In Romans 4.21, he is the God who is able to keep his promises. In John 10.28-29, he is the God who is able to hold you secure in his grasp, and no one can pull you out of his grasp. And thanks be to God, in Ephesians 3.20, He is the God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. He is the God who is able. We do not serve a weak God. We do not serve a God who may be able to strengthen you. We don't serve a God who hopefully can strengthen you. We serve the God who is able to strengthen you. He is not caught up in some some battle where he's in this cosmic battle with an equal evil. He is, this is no yin and yang God that we hope will win out in the end. He is the God who is mighty. He is the God who is sovereign. He is the God who is strong. He is the God who is able. And Paul specifically says here, he is able to strengthen you. He's able to strengthen you. When he says strengthen, this word simply means to to hold firm or to establish or to make stable. He he makes our feet stable. He sets us upon the the solid rock of Christ. Listen, this this was a good declaration to the believers in Rome. And it's a good declaration to us as well that he is the God who is able to strengthen you. 
Now, I want you just to remember for a moment, when he writes this to the believers in Rome, remember just for a moment what these believers faced. Remember what we've gone through. Remember in, in Romans 12, 1 through 2, we're reminded that they are a group of believers who were constantly being tempted to be conformed to the culture. Culture was constantly saying, I want you to look like me. I want you to think like me. I want you to hold dear the things that I hold dear, value the things that I value. The culture was constantly trying to pull them away from their gaze upon the Lord. In Romans 12, then 3 through 8, we understand that they faced, a, a, they are a body of believers who were sinful. And, and they could harm the unity of the body. And so they face that, and God is the God who is able to strengthen them in the midst of this. In Romans 13, 1-7, they faced a government that was oppressive, evil, and opposed to Christianity, opposed to God. In Romans 13, 8-14, they faced their own sinful hearts that tempted them to love themselves more than their neighbors. In Romans 14, 1-15-13, we read and understand and learn that they face the sinful desire to be more concerned about their own convictions and opinions than they were of the faith of their brothers. And then we learn in 16, 17 to 20, that they are also believers who faced others who would cause disunity and sow seeds of false doctrine in their midst. They, they face the, the same things we face. Do we not face these same things? Do we not live in the midst of a culture that is constantly drawing our attention away from the Lord, away from the things of God, away from our mission that He has called us to? Do we not face the challenges to unity, the, the, the false narratives that are going to seek to undermine doctrine? Do we not face our own sinful hearts that are constantly leading us to think more about ourselves than those around us? Do we not struggle through the same things that the Roman believers struggled through? And Paul says, now to him who is able to strengthen you. He is able to strengthen us. Give praise to him. Exalt his name. Now, what are the means that God uses to strengthen us? He is able to strengthen us. What does he strengthen us with? What does Paul say? The second thing, the gospel. It's the gospel that establishes. It's the gospel that strengthens. It says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ. I, I saw a, a tweet this weekend that just fit right into what we're looking at. It, it said this, a, a, a gentleman by the name of Dustin Binge, he said, never expect strength by looking at your faith. Look to Christ. See, Paul is saying, listen, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ, he's, saying, he's not saying that I want you to be strong in your own means. There's futility in looking at our own faith and our own means to strengthen us because if I look to find strength in my own faith, there are times when my faith is strong. There's times where my faith is weak. There's times where I struggle. There are times where I don't. And if I'm looking for strength in my own faith, I'm looking within, then I am going to struggle. Strength is not found in my own means, in my own ability, in my own faith. Strength is found when I look to Christ. It is Christ who strengthens us. You see, the result of the gospel is not just that we're saved, but also that we are established, we are strengthened in His grace. So I ask you, believer, are, are you strengthened in Him? Are you established? Are you set firm? Are you held firm by Him? The, the trials of life may indeed shake you. But you need to remember that it is God who holds you fast. 
the, the lies of our culture may come at you and seek to shake your faith and shake your, your, your mindset and, and get it off of the Lord, but you need to understand that the truth of the gospel establishes your faith, establishes you in Christ, holds you firm in Christ. The, the sins, the deception, the unfaithfulness, the hurts of others may indeed cause weakness. But God brings strength. It is God who strengthens you. The, the disappointments of life may leave you shaken. The things that you expected, the things that you looked forward to, the things that you just thought were going to, to be in your life, they haven't. The disappointments have come all about. That may leave you shaken. But God is the God who is faithful to strengthen you. Faithful to set your feet on solid ground, the solid ground of Christ that you might stand firm. He is able to strengthen you. Now, he says he's able to strengthen you according to my gospel. When Paul says my gospel, he's not saying that I'm preaching a different gospel than these other guys, and we all have our own gospel, and it's my gospel that strengthens you. What he's saying here is he's acknowledging the fact that his gospel is in conformity to the real gospel, the true gospel, the biblical gospel. It is the gospel, so that when he looks to the Galatian believers and elsewhere in Scripture, and they are following after a false gospel, he calls them to account. Paul proclaims the true gospel, the gospel that he has taught is faithful to the biblical gospel, the truth of God's word. That's simply what he means here. Now, the question that I ask when I read this and study this week was how, how does God strengthen us according to the gospel? How, how does God bring strength to us? How does he establish us with the gospel? Because, again, so many times we think about the gospel just saving us. So how is it that God strengthens us with the gospel? Well, I think one, one way is that God establishes us in His righteousness that comes through faith. We learn that in Romans 3.22, that, that we are established in God's righteousness that comes through faith so that we can trust Christ and not ourselves. We understand that it is, it is God's work in our lives that, that brings righteousness. In 3, 23 to 24, that we read that we have been justified by faith alone. So I don't, I don't stand in my own righteousness. That would be really shaky ground. It would be shifting ground. It would be worthless ground. No, instead, I stand on the righteousness of Christ before God, knowing that I've been justified by faith alone in Christ alone. We've learned that in Romans 3, 23 to 24. In Romans 5, 10 through 11, we learn that, that we are strengthened relationally, we are established relationally with God because we have been reconciled through Christ. We, we have been brought from a place of being at enmity with God with having peace with God. So we are established in that. So we do not fear God. We do not dread God. He is our shepherd and we are his sheep. He is our king. We are his people. We're established. We're strengthened. We're held firm in our relationship with God, reconciled through Christ. In Romans 8, 28-30, we're established by the purpose of God. We're established and strengthened knowing that the sovereign purpose of God is that all things work to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So that establishes us. That steadies us. That lets us know that, you know what, the situations of life may throw all types of curves at us. 
It may challenge us. There may be times when we doubt ourselves. There may be times where we look and we are indeed disappointed. There are times where we fall to sin. There are times when tragedy comes upon us. There are times when things are just a wreck. But in the midst of all that, we know that our sovereign God is carrying out His purposes according to Romans 8, 28 to 30. We're established in that. We're strengthened by that. And then the end of Romans 8, as we go to verse 31 to 39, we're established in the love of God. This is the love of God that strengthens us, that holds us firm, because we know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. doesn't matter. Death will not separate us from God's love. Trials will not separate us from God's love. Opposition will not separate us from God's love. Pandemics will not separate us from God's love. Masks will not separate us from God's love. There is nothing that separates the believer from the love of God. And that enables us to be strengthened and to hold fast to Him. Because we're not looking at our own faith. We're looking at Him and His work and His love and His grace and His purpose. Listen, Paul says He is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Christ. Don't underestimate the value and the simple, beautiful soul care of thinking deeply, thinking often, studying, thinking much upon the gospel. There is rich soul care in thinking about the gospel, in rehearsing the gospel to yourself, preaching the gospel to yourself. We need to value the preaching of Christ because it is through the preaching of Christ and the gospel that God does deep soul care on you and I. Because we're tempted to look to ourselves. We're tempted to think about our own abilities. But the gospel directs us to look away from ourselves and to look to Christ. The gospel directs us away from our own abilities, away from our own sin, away from our own deeds, and to Christ, to the cross of Christ. Listen, preaching Christ is is the value of, of good preaching, sound sermons that direct your gaze towards Christ. You need to You need to appreciate and be thankful when you have Sunday school teachers and and people standing in the pulpit who are going to direct you not to think more about yourself. Not to think more about how good I am and how I can depend on myself and how I can make myself a better person. But instead, good, sound, gospel-centered, Christ-centered, God-exalting sermons should direct your gaze towards Him and towards His grace, towards exalting Him. It should lead you to trust Him, to lean on Him, to hope in Him. That's what sound preaching should do, and that is the preaching of Christ and the gospel that will strengthen you and give soul care to you. We need to be grateful for the gospel of Christ. Now look at how he describes it. He says, My gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. He describes it as a mystery, something he, Paul has done elsewhere in, in, in Romans and even uh, in, throughout the New Testament. The gospel is often described as a mystery. Now, we, we've talked about this before. This should be somewhat of a, of a review, but when he says mystery, he is not talking about something that we just, we just don't get, we don't know, we don't know about it. We're, wow, wow, what's going on? Now he's talking about something that was once unknown but has been made known. It's the revelation of the mystery, the special revelation of God. 
That God has graciously made himself known. He has graciously made salvation known. Have you thought about the grace of God displayed in the simple fact that you and I know how to be saved? That, that is a display of God's grace, a display of his goodness, a display of his love, that he has revealed himself to you and I. Listen, outside of that, we would be continuing to walk in darkness and despair. We would be continuing to depend on our works, on our heritage, on our own means to earn salvation. But man can't do this. The only way we're saved is through Christ alone. And God has revealed that to us. He has shined forth the light of Christ in our lives. And we must be grateful for that. The revelation of the mystery, it was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. Through the prophetic writings. The prophetic writings, the Old Testament, all pointing towards Christ. If you've never taken a step back and and read the Old Testament and just looked and seen the beauty of how God's revelation, the Old Testament, points to the coming of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the atonement of Christ. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do it. It is absolutely remarkable how God revealed and prophesied the coming of Christ. And look at the scope. We talked about the power, the strength of God to establish. We, we talked about the gospel. Now, now, what is the scope or the breadth of the gospel? What is it? He says it's been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made to who? Made known to all nations. It's made known to all nations. The scope of the gospel, the breadth of the gospel is to every nation. Paul refuses to let us lose sight of the mission of God, the missio Dei, that, that God has, has called us to take the gospel to the nations, that the nations might rejoice, that men from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, every people would rejoice in the salvation of our God and praise our God and say, He is the God of my salvation. He is the Lord who saves. Paul is constantly bringing us back to that. Just consider how we saw that in the book of Romans in this study. He started in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. In Romans 1, 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God's salvation for who? First for the Jew and then to the Gentile, for all people, for everyone who believes, Paul said. In Romans 10, 13 and 15, he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? The gospel is to go forth to the nations. In Romans 11, chapter 11, he says, or Romans 11, verse 11, he says, I asked, did Israel stumble, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. What was God's great purpose that we saw in Romans 11? It was rather that through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Jew and Gentile alike find salvation in Christ. And then in Romans 15, 20, Paul shares his own heart. You remember this, that he said, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, 
But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. May we never lose sight of the mission of taking the gospel to the nations. Satan would love nothing more than to cause us to be so inward-looking, so comfortable with our own lives that we lose sight of the plight of the nations. There's nothing he would be more proud of than to have a church that would come and gather and sit and listen to a sermon and be happy and theologically full and have these big heads that know all this stuff about the Bible and leave and never tell anyone about Christ. That would please our adversary. But it would not please our God because God has been very clear that we have a mission. We must not lose sight of the plight of the nations. We must not lose sight of the fact that man by his own devices outside of Christ is traveling the wrong way down the Romans road. Just continuing to go deeper and deeper into sin, into darkness, suppressing the truth, exchanging the truth for a lie, worshiping the creation instead of the creator. We cannot lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of the fact that sin is real. That God's wrath is real we can't forget that hell is real we can't forget that the plight of the nations is real but thanks be to god we also cannot lose the sight of the fact that jesus is real grace is real salvation is real the gospel is real and our mission to take the gospel to the nations is indeed real and we must be about doing that mission fulfilling that mission what is it christ made it clear and Paul says here, what, the, according to the, the prophetic writings have made known the gospel to all the nations, what, according to the command of the eternal God. What is that command? What is that divine imperative of our Lord? It's to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We've been given the command. The, the command, the, the divine command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Listen, you know what's interesting here? When he says this word, this word for command, he's not just talking about like the, the moral commandments. It's not the same word that's used in the New Testament to talk about like the Ten Commandments. Instead, this is a, a pretty distinct word in those times. It was a word that was distinctly Roman in, in, in how they described the military commands given by Caesar. The command to go as the army. So when the Roman Christians heard this, they understood that Paul was reminding them of their marching orders. But these marching orders were not given by, by Caesar, the Lord of Rome. No, these marching orders were given by Jesus, the Lord of all creation, the King of kings. That's who the marching orders come from. Listen, my prayer, the prayer of your pastors, is that we would never lose sight of the mission that God has called us to. Now, our prayer is that, that God would continually grow and cultivate in us a desire and a longing to see people come to faith in Christ. That we would be more about lifting high the name of Christ and exalting the name of our great God than we would about promoting the name of our church. That we would be less about saying, hey, our pastors are great, and more about saying, our Savior is awesome. That we would be a people set on the mission that we would think intentionally about where we go and what we do and why we do it. That we would be a people who live with gospel intentionality. That relationships would be relationships that we think about on a spiritual level and with gospel intentionality. Why? Why? Because our desire 
is that people all across this community, all across this state, this nation, and yes, this world, would be worshipers of our God. That they would lift high the name of Christ. That they would stand with us to say to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So be it. We live for God's glory. We worship God. We exalt the, the name of Christ. We love Him. We want to be about the mission of God because we want to see people giving God glory. All that Paul has said, all that Paul has done to this point is culminating into this final statement to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Listen, the glory of God is the goal of the Christian. Is that your goal? Are you living for God's glory? Like We hear that a lot. You hear that from the pulpit. You hear that in things we write to you. You hear that in your Sunday school classes, in your Bible studies. Give glory to God. Live for God's glory. What does that mean? What does it look like? Are you living for God's glory? Or are you living in a way that is trying to promote your name to try to make you look like a good guy or a good lady or a good parent or a good businessman or a good doctor or a good plumber? Am I trying to just project myself as a good preacher or a good pastor? Or are we all doing all those things that we do for the glory of God, for the exaltation of Christ? Is that why we do it? Are we living for His glory? Do we share the passion and the longing of, of Paul that he would say to the only wise God, be glory forevermore, everything that is written? It is not about me, it's about Him, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name be the glory? Is that why we live? Listen, we come to the end of Romans and we think back of everything that we've studied. We think back on all that we've learned, all that... God led the Apostle Paul to write. There's two realizations, I think, that we're struck with, we should be struck with, that cause us to just step back and go, to God be the glory, great things He has done. You know what the first realization is? The first realization is that all that man has earned is condemnation and punishment. That's all we've merited. That's all we've earned. Just think back for a moment. Think back about the message of Romans 1, 18 to 20. Or, I'm sorry, to 320. In, the, in those passages, we're reminded that all of our deeds, all of our efforts, all of our wisdom, all of our heritage, all of our genealogy, it just leads to wrath and punishment and judgment. That's all it leads to. It doesn't lead to salvation. In, in chapter 1, verse 23, we we read that man trades God's glory for images, for stuff. We, we revel more in the shine of a new vehicle than we do the splendor of the King of Kings. In, in chapter 1, verse 24, we read that we lean on worldly philosophy. We, we trade God's truth for lies. We follow after the, the lust of our own hearts. Our own heart's desires are what we're following after. In verse uh, 26 of chapter 1, we read that we are seeking only our own sinful passions. The things that we want, the things that we long for, we're just running hard after those things. In chapter 3, verse 10, 
We read that there's none who do good. There are none who are good. None who seek after God. In 3.23, we read that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all objects of His wrath. Listen to how Paul, Paul closes the end of chapter 1. And tell me if this does not describe our day, does not describe the plight of man. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, of murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Paul starts getting really personal here, so I'm going to warn you. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty. They're boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless or faithless heartless ruthless though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them Does that not characterize our day? Does that not characterize every one of us outside of Christ? Is that not what we look like left to our own devices? Our effort, our deeds, our sin leads not to our glory and salvation, but to our condemnation. Do you realize that? That's the first realization that we have when we look at Romans chapter 1 all the way up through 320. But thanks be to God for the second realization. The one that leads us to where Paul ends in verse 27. The second realization is this, is that all that man has received is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's think back on that for a minute. In chapter 3, verse 22, we read that we are made righteous through faith in Christ. In 3, verse 24, we are justified before God by faith. In 5, 1, we have been given peace with God. God through justification by faith. In chapter 5, verse 9, we have been saved from the wrath of God. You get that? We're saved from God's own wrath in 5.9. In 5.11, we have been reconciled with God. In 5.17, we have been given life from God. In chapter 7, verses 4 through 6, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. In chapter 8, verse 1, we therefore live with no condemnation. We are no longer under condemnation for if we're in Christ. In chapter 8, verse 9, we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. In 8, 31 to 38, we are the objects of God's love, a love that cannot be separated from us. It cannot be destroyed by anyone, anything, at any time. We are recipients of God's grace. A grace that was displayed by the only wise God, Paul says, to the only wise God. God's glorious grace displayed that that we see that it is not according to man's wisdom that says, hey, you be a good person. You earn God's favor. You take pride in your lineage. You take pride in your ability. You're powerful. You're influential. Just be religious. That is man's wisdom. You know what Paul says about that? He says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will 
thwart? Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks to seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. Thanks be to God that we have the gospel of Christ revealed to us by God and for that we give him glory. We do not live according to man's wisdom, we live by God's gracious wisdom. To God, the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. But listen, the reality is I think a lot of people are sitting here this morning and you're gathered and you're watching maybe online and you're living according to man's wisdom and your testimony will probably be like the testimony of Bono when he sings, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know the song where he says, I have climbed the highest mountains, I've run through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I haven't found it. I've kissed honey lips, felt the healing in her fingertips. It felt, or it burned like fire, this burning desire. I have spoke with the tongue of angels. I have held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Listen, you can live in man's wisdom all you want and you will never find what you're looking for you will have the same testimony of the restless heart going about seeking and proclaiming i still haven't found what i'm looking for and that will be the narrative of your life i don't i don't know i don't know that anyone knows exactly the meaning of that song i do appreciate the next verse do you know the next verse I believe the kingdom come. Then all the colors bleed into one, bleed into one, but yes, I'm still running. Notice somebody says, you broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross, oh my shame. Man's wisdom is going to leave you searching. Man's wisdom is going to leave you looking. We don't preach man's wisdom. We don't trust man's wisdom. We preach Christ and Christ crucified. Because it is the wisdom of God. The salvation is through Jesus Christ for all who believe. It is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. That all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You can look and you can wonder and you can seek after the things of man all you want. And you're always going to be searching. The thirst of your soul is only quenched by Jesus Christ. So if you're running and you're seeking and you're searching, I would appeal to you to stop running, stop searching, stop seeking in the wisdom of man. Turn from your sins, repent, and trust Jesus Christ. Oh, Paul said, do you remember Romans eleven thirty-three to 36? Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory forever. Amen. You know the words of the old hundred? Anybody know what the old hundred is? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know, sing it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's stand and worship our King.